one day I said that I was having trouble figuring out what I wanted to do with my life and my career. And as I said that, there were so many people that related that made me realize that all these people that I thought were kind of elevated above me and and had made it were all flawed in different ways and had their own insecurities. You're listening to Create Community. I'm your host, Marsha Drucker. On this podcast, we're exploring the human side of community. I'm chatting with some amazing community builders to define what community truly means. Joining me today is Izzy Piali Sheard. He's quite possibly the most positive person on earth. Izzy used to be the community manager at a coding bootcamp in Toronto called Lighthouse Labs. Most recently, Izzy was building Unlock China, where he organized trips and resources to help people explore the tech world in China. He also started a peer mentorship community for entry-level job seekers called Clear Career. Izzy is an expert on building partnerships. If you're in a community builder role, you don't want to miss this episode. Let's jump right into it. Izzy, well, thank you so much for joining me on the Create Community podcast. I'm super excited to have you here with me today. Thanks so much for having me. It's always exciting to hang out and awesome to be in this really cool studio. Yeah, it's pretty amazing, right? Um, so we've known each other for, I would say, about two, two and a half years now. Yeah. Um, you're one of the first people that jumped to mind when I thought of community and somebody who really embodies everything that a community <laughs> builder is. But I really want to get to understand your journey. How did you become a community builder and what sort of led you here? Mm-hmm. So what was your upbringing and childhood like? What, what were those early years like for you? Yeah. So I was born in Turkey. So my family's Turkish and I grew up in Quebec going to French elementary school and then to high school in English. And I guess with my family, they've always been people who were very supportive and they never put a lot of pressure on telling me what I have to do and that kind of thing. So my parents were always very supportive of the type of things that, you know, excited me and things that uh, I was passionate about. I got really into video editing and, you know, filming funny skits with my friends and things like that. And then when I got to university, it got to this point where uh, I had to move away from home and uh, I wanted to have a little bit more independence. So I, you know, moved out to Toronto and there I got to redefine who I was because I was going into this whole new place where nobody knew who I was. And that's actually when I started calling myself Izzy before, you know, all throughout elementary school and high school, everyone called me by my actual name, Iskandar. Wow, um, I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I knew that that was your full name, but that's that's really cool that that's when you sort of almost like rebranded yourself. And yeah, I think that's such a cool opportunity when you're kind of like making those transitions in your life, even when you're just like starting a new grade in school, there's always an opportunity to kind of do things a little bit differently and think about how you want to be perceived and what kind of friends you want to have and what interests you have. So very cool story. In university, what was it that you studied and what was your passion? I studied history and political science. And I did that because I was interested in how people work and how the world works. And uh, and I got really interested in just learning about how society came to where it is today. 
Very cool. Did you have any kind of end goal in mind? Did you know what you wanted to do after university or you kind of um, just decided to jump into that and see where it takes you? I did decide to jump into it. I had a vague idea of getting into teaching. I thought I wanted to be a teacher because I liked having a positive impact on on people's lives. And, you know, I've had a lot of great teachers in the past that have impacted me in a lot of ways and inspired me to do different things. So I kind of wanted to pass that along and do that as well. And then by, you know, third, fourth year, I found that there weren't too many teaching jobs. So I thought that, okay, maybe this isn't something I should pursue. Maybe there's something else that I can do that fulfills that community spirit of people, bringing people together and things like that. That's really interesting. I feel like even though you didn't become a teacher in in sort of like that sense of the word or that profession, all the roles and opportunities that you've kind of pursued, they've almost had that element to it. So it's really great that you were able to pursue that in a different way. It's, It's actually kind of interesting looking back over the last like 10 years, I tend to find this common thread of education and mentorship in all the different careers and jobs that I've had. And those are the things that always inspired me the most is having some form of mentorship capacity or managerial capacity where I, you know, will coach interns or work with other people. And uh, that always really makes me feel fulfilled. Yeah, it's really rewarding. I feel like it's it's kind of been similar in my career. Like every job that I've had, I have either had an intern or somebody junior reporting to me, and it's been really rewarding to be able to mentor them. And then now at this point with Fuck Up Nights, being able to hire some part-time students, mm-hmm. I absolutely love that part of it and just being able to kind of work on them, whatever their strengths are, and give them projects that are really going to help them grow and just kind of see them really like take on things and evolve. So I, I definitely share that passion with you. So how did you start? start your career? What was your first um, sort of role out of school and how did you sort of um, proceed with that? Yeah. So out of school, I was looking for jobs and uh, I was originally looking for jobs that are within the, that were within the university as like residence life coordinator, or student yeah. life coordinator or things like that. And after that, uh, I wasn't very successful. There, there are difficult positions to get into. So I thought I'd try a different direction and go for jobs that were in technology and things like that. And there were a couple things that popped out there, but ultimately, uh, some previous colleagues, I used to work at uh, University of Toronto's international English programs, and they had a full-time program. Uh, that was during the year as well. And so they actually decided to hire me. And there I was serving in exactly that type of capacity. It was this kind of a student life coordinator slash recruiter slash, you know, I took on some fun special projects and things like that too. So it ended up being exactly what I wanted at the time. And then from there, was Hacker Paradise sort of your next your role or or how did you come about that opportunity? In 2014, decided that I wanted a big change and uh, I wanted to pursue different things. I was excited by some of the conferences and events and entrepreneurial events and things like that that I went to. Um, so I decided to take a little bit of time and leave my job and go do some of the things that I've always been 
wanting to do, but I couldn't find the time to do them. And so I went and traveled through Asia for a little bit, and that was a really great experience. And it allowed me to put myself and my priorities and the things that I wanted to do on the front burner for the first time in my life, I would say. After that, when I came back to Toronto, I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay here yet. And I came across this opportunity for, it's best described as kind of like a a traveling, co-working retreat for entrepreneurs called Hacker Paradise. And so I threw in my job application, but then I went and emailed them as well with a personalized introduction and talked about all the reasons they should hire me. <laughs> and what was the role? What were you applying to do? It was uh, a trip leader. Trip so leader, essentially, cool. yeah, it would be a, leading a group of 20 to 40 software developers or entrepreneurs that had remote jobs all over the States or in Europe or in South America or wherever they are. And they could work from anywhere. So they decided to just get rid of their apartments and travel and work remotely. And, and it was a pretty cool experience. That must have been incredible being on that trip yourself and kind of coordinating that group. How was the community fostered within that group? Did you feel that there was a sense of community? That's, I think, where community was really redefined for me. Previously, I'd worked with students. I had worked, you know, within a university capacity and that sort of thing. But here was where community became this new thing where people shared their true vulnerable side. And you saw people who, you know, from my perspective, these were people who had made it. They were successful. They had remote jobs. They were, you know, a lot of them were pretty well paid and yeah. they were traveling. Living the dream, right? Living the dream. And, you know, I actually kind of felt like a fish out of water amongst them, even though I was leading the trip, until one day where we would do these cool things called a reciprocity ring, where every Monday we'd get together and everyone in the circle had to ask for help with one thing. And it was kind of awkward at the beginning. And eventually what ended up happening was we made it so you had to ask for anything. So even if you didn't know specifically, you know, what you could ask for, you could say, you know, my mom's birthday is coming up. I need help buying a present or something like that. And then people got in the habit of asking for help. And eventually one day I said that I was having trouble figuring out what I wanted to do with my life and my career. And as I said that, there were so many people that related that made me realize that all these people that I thought were kind of elevated above me and, and had made it were all flawed in different ways and had their own insecurities and things like that. And that kind of spun off into this whole new thing where we got together and had a discussion group about it. And it was very, very powerful and very vulnerable. That's such a strong realization. I feel like I've kind of realized that really through fuck up nights as well. Like the most successful people, the most successful companies on the outside, it looks like they have everything figured out. Everything is perfect. But a lot of the time, those are the people that are kind of searching the most like for meaning. What's their next step going to be? How are they going to pivot? So it's it's really cool to kind of have that realization. And you, I think you almost start seeing people in a different way after that, really realizing that everybody's kind of taking it one day at a time and just like trying to figure it out and be the best person possible. Mm -hmm. 
So after that, I believe that's when you started your role at Lighthouse Labs as a marketing and partnerships manager. Was it sort of directly after that or... Yeah, I got back in July, I think, of 2016. And then I started saying, okay, how can I find what I had at Hacker Paradise in terms of community and building community and bringing people together and turn that into a job that's here in Toronto? I wanted to come back here and kind of reestablish my roots and reconnect with my friends and family and things. So I started looking at all kinds of different places. I actually originally went to a bunch of different co-working spaces and looked at them and reached out to different co-working space founders and, and tried to talk to them about community and how we could foster community in their spaces and how we could bring members together and things like that. Some of them actually were somewhat fruitful. But uh, at the end of the day, I met some folks from Lighthouse Labs at TechTO. And then one of my friends had given me the opportunity to improve my public speaking skills. So I had connected with Lighthouse Labs to speak with their current students about working remotely as a software developer, which I had experience in with Hacker Paradise. And so um, that one thing led to another, and I found myself in a role as the community manager at Lighthouse Labs, and that started my next career. I feel like that role, it, it almost like put you on the map in Toronto as like the person for community. Um, every tech CEO <laughs> event that I'd be at, I would see you there making the announcement. You'd, you always had such an amazing presence um, to you there, and you were uh, so passionate you. about that role. What did you love the most about that role? And like, what were some really big things that you feel like you learned? Yeah, it was really fun to be not technically, but effectively the most public face of the yeah, the company were, in Toronto. You were the face of Lighthouse Labs, that's for sure. That's how when <laughs> I think when anybody thought of Lighthouse Labs, they thought of you and especially you at TechTO. Like at least for me, that's like those two things were kind of synonymous. And yeah. Really amazing. Yeah. And you know, that job was kind of a dream for me at the time. It was mixing tech and entrepreneurship and personal growth and education and mashing them all together into one amorphous blob of exactly what I wanted. And it was awesome. And uh, from the things that I really enjoyed doing, I loved helping people grow in their careers and find jobs that they want. And Lighthouse Labs was a place where people would come and make a whole shift and go from, you know, being someone in sales to, hey, I want to dive into the tech industry. How do I do that? I can become a developer and then go through this intensive program. And by the end of it, start a whole new career and a new chapter of their lives. And I loved seeing that progression in people. Yeah, it was such a perfect role for you at the time. You've always been somebody who's really entrepreneurial and like so curious about different um, industries and different ways to bring people together and especially on the tech side. So I know that your next move was sort of to build your own community and Mm -hmm. to build something called Unlock China. So how did that come about and what was the inspiration behind starting your own community? It started with me learning more about the Chinese tech ecosystem And the more I learned about it, the more I found out I didn't know about it. And that fascinated me. I love 
learning and as I learned about all these incredible things that I didn't know about the tech ecosystem in China, I just craved more. So I ended up going on a little, I sacrificed my Christmas holiday and just went to China for about three weeks. And I thought it was awesome. It was just a totally different experience. You know, the way that people use money and you know, everything is cashless and the way that people use their phones for everything, the like image recognition technology that people have to just like take a picture of their friend's shirt and then buy it online within 10 seconds so cool. was just something that we still don't have here. And that was fascinating to me. So I just said, okay, within the next six months or eight months, I've got to go back and spend a good amount of time there. And what ended up happening was the more I passionately talked about this, the more people got kind of interested and went, wow, I didn't know that either. That's really cool. How do I, you know, learn more about that? And so that spun off into this newsletter that I started and just posting things on LinkedIn and stuff like that. And that eventually kind of resulted in me leading a Hacker Paradise-esque trip to China, or at least planning one. And that was kind of where things all spun off and spiraled off into this chaotic explosion where the CFO of Huawei got detained in Canada. Anyway, long story short, everybody got cold feet and problems happened and we had to cancel the whole trip. Um, so <laughs> that, was, uh, that was probably my biggest fuck up. So we'll get to a little bit of that, but it was, it was such an incredible idea. I mean, you were, you really like, you were kind of scratching your own itch through it, but then you started building this content online and built sort of like an online community of people first who were actually like so interested in this. How many people were on your, on your mailing list, uh, approximately on your email? I think I probably had five or 600 people that were on the newsletter. We had started a little Slack group. And I also went and gave a couple talks here and there. I actually gave a little talk about the future of technology in China at, at this event called Ryerson Tech Talks, which was really fun. And just all the discussions that I ended up having with people were really, really fun. That's really cool. And how did you sort of foster a sense of community between those people who were in that group and especially the ones that were interested in actually going on the trip? A lot of it was just people's curiosity and having discussions and and mutually teaching each other about things and that spun off into other really cool discussions about okay well most people don't really know about what's going on in China what's going on in other places in India and in Africa and you know all these other incredible tech communities all over the world and we're so focused on what we have right here in this little North American bubble. So that was one thing that was just really interesting to me. For sure. I mean, there's so much like Toronto is becoming such a booming ecosystem for tech, but there's so much that we can learn from other ecosystems. Some are maybe further along, some are maybe just starting out, but there's lessons to be learned across all of them. Yeah. 
So you're somebody who's really passionate about partnership and sponsorship, and you've really seen it from both sides, being a community builder, but then also being a community manager at Lighthouse Labs and in in other roles. Mm -hmm. Is there any advice that you have for community builders who are trying to get partners for their community? What have you seen work from both sides? Yeah, I think a lot of people who are looking for sponsorship opportunities or, you know, looking to gain sponsorship money from organizations miss some of the crucial aspects that are of value that they have. A lot of the time, companies are looking to sponsor events or companies or whatever it may be where they present a certain set of values for that company. You know, I'm paying maybe $5,000 to sponsor an event because that event will bring a number of entrepreneurs that may be interested in my product or that community will have lots of different discussions and I want our CFO to be part of those discussions and give a talk to that group that creates more awareness about the things that we do. So things like that. And I think really sitting down and listing out the value that your community provides is one of the best ways to hunker down and and figure out, okay, who would want to give us sponsorship money and why? And really a lot of the time it's about people. It's about content and the talks and things like that, that you, you bring together. And, you know, a lot of the time it's, it's about how many eyes are on your event on the flip side. If you are a sponsor, I've seen sponsors all over the map from large companies like the IBMs and the Microsofts and things like that. They kind of just occasionally throw money at hackathons and don't really measure the impact of it. They just have budget allocated for it that they have to spend. And it's hard for them to really reel in the KPIs from that. But then the the kind of smaller to mid-sized companies are usually looking for a specific return on it. And if you can show them the returns on value that they're providing, then um, that's when you're going to get more impact, more bang for your buck. So from the perspective of sponsors, I would really think about the different things you're looking to get out of an opportunity and make sure that you you work with those communities you're looking to sponsor to figure out how you can come up with certain goals and how they can be delivered and how you can measure that. Yeah, it's so key. I mean, like sometimes you see a company kind of come on board as a sponsor, but then maybe they haven't really like fully thought it through or allocated the right team members to actually uh, make sure that they're getting the most out of that sponsorship and really like promoting it and getting people to come out to the events. So you're totally right. I think it's it's a value exchange on both sides and just really being able to kind of track it, pivot when needed, and really just uh, just work together. Is there any other advice that you would give to somebody who's an aspiring community builder? For you, it was such a big jump to go from this incredible sort of stable role to starting your own community and going all the way to China. What advice do you have to some Somebody who's thinking about starting something? I think one of the big things is authenticity, being genuine with your goals and what you want to do. I've seen people that will feign authenticity and vulnerability, and that always leaves 
a bad taste in my mouth. And what I mean by that is people who know that being quote unquote authentic or vulnerable will have certain pull with an audience. And you can always taste that. You can always feel it. If someone is being vulnerable on LinkedIn because they know that it's going to get views on their blog post that's going to lead to sales, you can feel that. The audience can feel that. And so it's really important to actually think about what messaging you're putting out there and why you're doing it and try to come from a place of creating genuine community, having actual conversations that will prop people up. Yeah, that's such a good point. I mean, yeah, you can sense those posts right away. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I see so many of them. I think even like when you're starting a community, if you're doing it for the money or like if that's your first goal to kind of monetize it and bring sales for whatever else you're doing, you probably won't be super successful with it. I think it really like the strongest communities that I've seen kind of come from your own challenges or your own itch that you're trying to scratch. And you really kind of want to solve that problem for yourself and then also help others kind of belong in this community that's that's coming together around this one thing. I think if you're kind of starting it off with the goal of trying to make money from it, it's going to be a pretty, pretty difficult road and it's going to be a lot harder to kind of appear genuine. There's a quote, I forget exactly who it's by, but it's something along the lines of great companies are not built by people trying to make a quick buck. They are built by people who are trying to change the world or something like that. Yeah. And what I take away from that is people who are trying to make a difference with other people, trying to have a positive impact on the world and not just trying to make money. I think those are the communities that people like, you know, even with fuck up nights, that's a great example where you created this community and people literally volunteer to help put these events on, on the day of. And that's something that you don't see from everything. Not everybody can pull that kind of thing off where you have people that want to help that are coming left, right and center and, and wanting to help you in different ways. And that's authentic, great community. Yeah, for sure. And it's really, it's not to say that there's no money to be made in community. There's mm -hmm. like, you, you really could turn it into a business. A lot of the time, even with Fuck Up Nights, when I first started out, it was it was really just the side hustle. I really just wanted it to exist. I had come back from living abroad. I was kind of feeling like a failure myself, couldn't figure out what my next step was going to be, had moved back in with my parents after getting out of a relationship. So there was a number of factors where I kind of felt like a failure and just really wanted to be in a community where other people were kind of taking the filter off and really like sharing their real story. So that was sort of the reason why I started this community. There was, I, I didn't try to monetize it at all. It was really just like a place to kind of gather people who wanted to hear genuine stories from people. But then over time, I think because it came from this um, like genuine need from myself, I think it really resonated for that reason. And I was able to build a team and then over time actually grow it to be sustainable and, and raise sponsorship dollars and charge for tickets. But that did not happen overnight. And that was definitely not my goal when starting out. Mm -hmm. So what was your experience like coming back to Toronto from when you were in China? How did you kind of reimmerse yourself? I know for me, I've kind of gone through that as well, where I've lived in Tel Aviv for a while and then coming back to Toronto, it was, it, it wasn't easy. What was that experience like for you? Awful. <laughs> it was terrible. Oh. I, you know, came back to Toronto, a, 
utter failure and I felt terrible. I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do next. I was burnt out from doing too many things. And there was a great talk that uh, that Aaron Burry gave at Fuck Up Nights that was just about saying yes to everything and how unsustainable that is. And I felt that that's exactly what I had been doing the two years that I was at Lighthouse was going to, you know, three or four events, five events a week, sometimes working, you know, 14 hour days and things like that. Doing your own side hustles and kind of building your community. It must have been a lot. Yeah. It felt terrible when I came back to Toronto. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was looking for different opportunities. I tried my hand at being kind of like a sponsorship broker where I tried to work with events and tried to work with sponsors and kind of match sponsorship to to events. But it didn't really resonate with me because, you know, I wasn't one of the people who ran the event. So it lacked authenticity from my perspective. I can see that. And then I tried, you know, a few different things. I did some freelancing and stuff like that. And then I ended up working um, at a software company and which is where I am now. And uh, that's okay. I think one thing that I really wanted to focus on this year was really saying no to a lot more things, gathering myself and just being very intentional about the things that I do and want to do and want to go to and things like that. So I've actually really kind of reeled back a little bit on on how many events and things like that that I go to. I I go to very little now. So now that you've kind of said no to a lot of things and you're really more conscious with your time, what communities are you part of now and why are they meaningful to you? So one community that I had started a couple of years ago was a peer mentorship community for people who were looking to get into their first job in tech or to advance to their next job in the tech industry and things like that. So that community kind of grew very quickly. That was about two years ago, I would say. And, you know, over the span of like three, four weeks, I got 900 people subscribed to this weekly newsletter that I sent out entry-level jobs in tech that really resonated with people and they kept sharing and, you know, it kind of did really well on social media and things like that. And then I started off a Slack group, which didn't work at all because not everybody knows what Slack is and because they don't, implementing a new platform didn't really work. So I had to kind of bite the bullet and shut that down and start that same community up on Facebook where everybody kind of was and everybody was already on. And um, I think at this point, what I'm trying to do as my next side thing at the moment is start that community back up again and really focus on helping people discover and intentionally design the career that they're looking to create for themselves. A lot of people will end up in a job and not really a career just because it's what they can do or what's available or things like that. And I really pride myself on having designed my career in such a way that at least I try to be very intentional with what I want to do. 
and where I want my roles to lead me and what I want to learn from them. And I think that people would benefit a lot from just getting a piece of paper and writing all the things that you love about all the jobs that you've had and all the things that you explicitly don't want to do. And if you could have any job in the world and have your dream job, what would that look like? If a genie could just snap their fingers and make any job in the world appear for you, what would that be and what would that entail? I think that's so incredible and so many people are going to get value from that. Even just seeing at our monthly events, we do a couple of questions um, that are sort of like stand up if. One of them is stand up if you work in a field that you didn't study in. Literally like everybody pretty much in the room stands up. And then the other one is stand up if you're looking for your next step. And again, it's sort of everyone. So I think kind of like showing people that there's so many opportunities out there and how can you really figure out what's going to be the best for you and how can you shape that for yourself there isn't really anything like it so that's that's incredible that you're starting that initiative in terms of your personal community how do you feel that you choose your people is there something that you look for in friends or people that you spend the most time with? This has been something that I've thought about a lot, you know, to the point where I've made lists of people that make me feel like I want to spend more time with them and I feel positive and they make me inspired. And then on the other hand, people who I feel negative after I hang out with, I feel drained, I feel just terrible. And I've been very, very intentional about, you know, I can count on two hands, the number of people that I am very explicit about maintaining and nurturing relationships with. And some of those things are going to sports every Monday. I, I'm part of the Toronto Sports and Social Club now. And my friend and I joined it together so we could do that and get That's some awesome. exercise and, and spend more time together. On the other hand, I have another friend that I realized that we work 10 minutes away from each other. But even though we're very close friends, we don't spend any time together. You know, sometimes it can be months before we see each other. And now we decided that every one or two weeks, we're going to go for a, just a short 20 minute coffee and make it more intentional. So I've been very intentional about trying to nurture the relationships that matter most to me and also just be okay with not being friends with everybody and not investing my time into absolutely everybody that I know. That's such a great approach. It's almost like you sat down and sort of did like an audit. Similar I, to that, like, yeah. I didn't almost do that. I explicitly yeah. did do that. <laughs> and it's so like so many people kind of do that on the career side, right? Like even like you were saying with that mentorship program, writing out like what makes you happy, what what would make a great role for you. But not a lot of people would think to like sit down and kind of make that kind of list when it comes to their friendships and their personal community. It's so important. I think it's even more important a lot of the time than what you do professionally. Like people say that, you know, the, you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with and you really have to choose them carefully. Mm -hmm. So it's a really cool exercise. I would encourage more people to do that. So my last question for you is, what does community mean to you? Community to me is something where as an individual, you can go to be part of, to feel accepted to grow, to feel challenged, and just a place where you can be with other people that are like you or unlike you, but you can come together and do incredible things. You know, community doesn't mean social media. Community doesn't mean 
being part of specific groups or being part of exclusive groups or anything like that. It really depends on the type of person that you are and the type of organization that you're part of and what you hope to get out of it. And I think that even community, the word itself can be defined very differently from person to person. But that's definitely what it means for me. It's all about growth and being challenged and being part of a group of people that are accepting and make each other feel positively. I love that. That's such a great definition. I like what you said about just coming together and doing incredible things. I really wish you the best of luck in your professional journey and uh, the new community that you're building. And I know that you're going to do incredible things. Izzy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Marsha. This is so much fun. I had such a great time chatting with Izzy today, and I hope that you learned as much as I did from this episode. You can connect with Izzy on Twitter at IzzyDoesSizzy or check out his website, IzzyDoesSizzy.com. Thanks for tuning in to Create Community, a podcast where I chat with incredible community builders to define what community truly means. You can check out the series on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you normally listen. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. I'd really love to hear your feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at createcommunitypod or check out our website at createcommunitypod.com for updates. Once again, I'm Marsha Drucker, your host, signing off. A huge thank you to Origins Media House for producing this series. You can find them at originsmediahouse.com, where house is spelled H-A-U-S, or on LinkedIn and Instagram at Origins Media House, and Twitter at Origins Media.